This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Sarah Hamilton about serverless transformation. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 136. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn, and you are listening to Serverless Chats. Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I am super excited about our guest today, actually. As a kid, I used to play with Legos all the time, right? So anybody who is associated with Legos, and then, of course, now as an adult kid, I don't know if that makes sense, but I like playing with Serverless. So when you mix Serverless and Legos together, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I'm just in heaven. So without further ado, would you like to introduce our guest, then? I would love to. And speaking of, I mean, we were talking earlier about terrible transitions. I think that one was pretty bad. But we're going to keep it in anyways because I think it's great. We're going to try it again our, later. We'll try it again later. Our guest today is a software engineer at The Lego Group and also an AWS community builder. Sarah Hamilton is with us today. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Now, question, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad was that transition? It was terrible. <laughs> yes, we are staying consistent. This is great. One of these, one of these days we'll get, we'll, get, uh, we'll get good at it. But, you know, today was not the day. Well, Sarah, we know that you're relatively new at Lego. So instead of perhaps talking about, you know, the inner workings of what it's like to be there, we'd love to ask you about your, your origin story. So what brought you to Lego and what were you most excited about technically when you, when you took the role? Yeah, so prior to this, I was working as a consultant for a couple of years, doing all sorts of kind of MVP startup kind of projects. So really releasing code quickly, getting things built up at super speed and trying to get investment for those companies. And then kind of, I, I fancied a change in terms of I'd like to work on a big production platform and understand how something that's really live in production to millions of users works because I think that's something that I hadn't quite gotten from working with smaller companies and it's true to say that since I've joined I really have gotten that experience already as well I've been at Lego Group about two months and yeah I'm loving it and I knew that Sheen and Nicole worked at Lego I believe that you've interviewed before right so they were kind of role models as well that I was like oh well they work at the Lego group so they must be doing some cool serverless stuff so yeah a lot of it was about the tech as well yeah no and I love I love that too and you actually have a really interesting perspective here too because working with those startups and doing all that MVP stuff I love that use case for serverless where it's like you can just you know quickly prototype something, get it up there, get it running, whatever. And then even as it starts to grow in a, in a, in a you know, a business or a startup gets a little bit bigger, you know, you, you grow with that and services will easily grow with that. But then you jump to something like the Lego group where, you know, Black Friday sales and, you know, millions and millions of transactions. I mean, crazy stuff like that. I mean, that's really, really interesting. So just, you know, I know that you've only been there two months, so you, you probably can't jump into the details, but anything just right on the surface that is like, this is completely different MVP to, you know, production grade, you know, millions of requests type thing? Yeah. So I, I suppose for me, the main difference is kind of when working with a smaller startup, as you say, serverless is an amazing use case to just throw something together, literally sometimes within a day. And sometimes I'm amazed. I'm like, I'm a genius. <laughs> so I just get these things together. Um, but then when it comes to when I started at the Lego group, we are creating some things from scratch. 
And it's all about really coming up with that solution design, going to your kind of senior, getting it checked off, coming back, rethinking ideas, because at the end of the day, it is going to go out to millions of people. So it needs to kind of be, be right. But I still think it's amazing. Like it is kind of, as you say, with Lego building blocks, serverless is truly like, I feel like you just get a service and then you put another service together and then right. it just all seems to work. And I try to think if there's anything else to do with actually a larger scale that I've come across. Um, but at the moment, I'm actually working on something that isn't in production yet. So I haven't quite had the exposure to that yet. I'm curious as a going from consultant to right where you were building like very specific projects to like build, release, get in their hands and then like move on to a, another project. Does it feel any different making that transition into, let's say, building something? I don't want to say more slowly because it's not more slowly at Lego, but you're you're building things per, perhaps in a less modular way that you then have to like ship over the line and then give to someone else. Does it feel different in terms of working in that type of environment? Yeah, it, it feels massively different, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's like it sounds negative to say that things move slower, but it's just the way that it is once a company gets bigger. So things do move more slowly than me just throwing things together and releasing it and hoping for the best. So I, I do notice that, but in a way, it's a good thing because I think I was at a point as a developer that I needed to be a bit more of a perfectionist with my work and kind of make sure all my tests are written really nicely. And I actually have really good code because we, it's such a huge code base now that you can't really afford to just be putting in whatever you want here, there and everywhere. So yeah, it is really different. And I think it's kind of both in a good way and in a not so good way. It's just like there's both sides of the coin on either side. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that, you know, an interesting thing moving to a company like Lego, I and mean, we've talked to Nicole Yip before, we've talked to uh, Sheen Brizzles before, and like Nicole was working on you know, sort of, a, I forget what it's called at Lego, but sort of that idea of that serverless um, developer enablement type role, right? I mean, and they do similar things at Liberty Mutual and so forth. And putting, you know, boilerplates and constraints and uh, just to make sure that there are certain like compliance things that are sort of all there so that there's a standard for when you're building new microservices and adding new new things like that. So I'm just curious, because like you said, it's a little bit wild west when you're a startup. It's like, ah, oh, we can do anything we want, right? Like just put it out there, see what happens. But when you start having actual lawyers and things like that involved, you know, making sure that compliance and all that stuff. So just work in that environment, I mean, one thing that's great sort of about serverless is there are some constraints that you have to sort of follow, but adding another layer of constraints, you, you know, by following something from like a serverless development or enablement team, how have you found that to be? So I guess one thing, so currently I'm working with in like a marketing team. So really much dealing with getting data in from the front end and then customizing emails to the user. And I've never really had to worry so much about kind of private personal information, but I really have to think about, oh, we can't be logging that out to such a place because that's going to contain some sensitive information. So it really is a thought process that you do have to, like, I'll often kind of check with my manager, like my product manager, do you think this is going to be okay? Whereas it's not something I've considered as much before. But yeah, but in my two months, not, not too many issues so far. <laughs> That's always good to hear. That would be much harder if it was like, well, in these two months, I can't even have enough fingers to count. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your journey into tech, right? Before that, you said before Lego, you were a consultant, and then you've also worked as a full stack web dev, and you're a, you're a cloud engineer. I wonder if there are like specific skills that you've picked up along the way that even if you're working in a serverless paradigm now, where perhaps you weren't before, but you're, you find yourself applying them, 
even perhaps more than you thought you would have? Yeah, so I guess my kind of journey about three three years ago was when I graduated from university and I'd done physics there. So I wasn't really from such a coding background. I had done a little bit of Python for kind of like creating graphs and things like that. And then I kind of realized, well, initially I was actually signed up to do a PhD in like magnetics, very much like hardware. But then I realized things are quite slow going. And I think the thing about PhD that enticed me was kind of continuing to learn. And I think I didn't believe that you could find that in a job role. But then I think that software development is just that, like you learn every single day and you can go as far as you want with it. So anyway, I decided, okay, I want something more fast paced and decided um, to basically just try and get a job. So I ended up as a consultant and the first six months were super hard. I was like working all hours to trying to build up the skills and be able to deliver a product. And then things got easier, really. I started to realize, oh, I actually really do enjoy this. And I actually kind of fell into serverless. So it just so happened that my projects were serverless projects. And then at that point, I ended up getting quite close to, I think you've interviewed Ben Ellaby, and I kind of worked really closely with him on serverless projects. And I think he really encouraged me to like go ahead and be outspoken on social media and blog articles and talks and things like that. So that's kind of how I ended up really in the serverless space. And I think it's just by luck, really, but I absolutely love it. And I imagine I'll stay in the space hopefully for a while. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned there was that you're just a few years out of university and and the amount that you've been able to sort of learn and accomplish in, in the point where you're at now in your career has, I think, has gone very fast, almost because of serverless, right? Because you kind of, once you start using serverless, you're exposed to so many parts of the of the application stack, right? So you're not just doing just coding and then hoping that somebody puts it on a server and runs somewhere, but you're thinking about infrastructure, even though you're not managing it, but you have to think about what infrastructure you need in order to actually run that stuff. So have you, do you feel like serverless was almost a, an enabler there to to kind of supercharge your career as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I, I don't know if I'm lucky or not that I can't contrast it as much to kind of other ways of working. Obviously, I kind of know about it, but I haven't used it so much. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what I enjoy most about it is more the architecture perspective, how I can get services and create a full application. And it's, I mean, it's insane, really, how quickly you can just build with those things. And each of those services kind of allow you to understand what's going on underneath, but you almost don't need to know too much. So I think it allows you to kind of get a really broad knowledge of the way an application works. And then once you get interested, you can kind of like dig a bit deeper, but there's no, I I think it's quite enabling. Yeah. So Jeremy and I, before we start the show, right, we have this sort of, hey, we think we'll go here and then here and then here, like thematically topic wise. But since you're talking about the insanity of the speed, I'm actually going to switch this up on us and then we can come back to our previous theme. Uh, so let's talk about that speed, right? You've written uh, a bit on the journey to serverless and serverless transformation. In one of your articles, building a massively scalable serverless chat application with AWS AppSync. At the end of it, right, you talk about, hey, why does all this come together and why is it important? You talk about TCO and you talk about speed and you talk about scalability. And then you also talk about teachability to other developers. You're like, you know, did we teach us and scale this? for other developers to be able to use it. And you like bold italics, final word, absolutely, (laughs) exclamation point. And so I think we we hear a lot about TCO and speed and scalability about serverless and what that means to make that journey and choose to build serverlessly. 
But I think a lot of people generally then talk about teachability to other developers. So will you talk a bit about that and how you did that within the organization and why that's also an important part of this idea of serverless transformation? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the thing is like, obviously technology is constantly moving. So with serverless, you are going to need to teach it to other people. So if we're going into an organization as a consultant and saying, we're going to use serverless to transform what your product, well, the developers have already worked there really need to kind of learn um, this stuff as well. And so with the example that uh, you were talking about, we built a scalable chat application uh, for a video conferencing website. And it had to be super scalable. I think we needed to have like up to 250,000 users at once um, all talking on the chat and it needed to be instantaneous. So, I mean, GraphQL seemed like the obvious answer in terms of this like subscriptions and things like that. And then, and then we just went to AppSync because then abstract it and make it easier for ourselves. I would say the only slight thing that, you know, is a bit difficult is the, the VTL in uh, AppSync. And that was something I had to learn myself. It's not like I was teaching that to other people. I was like, right, I'm going to have to get stuck in there and write these scripts. But then it wasn't even too bad because you could actually just switch that out for a Lambda. So if we had like really complex logic, then we would just kind of stick a Lambda in there instead of using the VTL that's out of the box with AppSync. But yeah, I think because I think serverless really is quite teachable. I mean, I think how far I've come from starting to learn with serverless to now two years later, I, I feel like I know a lot about it um, that I might not have done had serverless not been around. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, and VTL, I've been writing VTL since, uh, geez, Apache. 1981. Summer. 1927 <laughs> is when I first started writing VTL. Um, that's right. No, I, it was, uh, it was, oh, it was a long time ago. Anyways, point is every time I write it, I, you don't write it enough that you don't use it enough. <laughs> That it's like something that's always there. So you always have to look things up. So I always reteach myself VTL every time I need to, to do VTL. But no, so I, I think that's really interesting too about like the choice to use AppSync, for example. And I think that people who uh, are familiar with GraphQL, you know, and you set up a GraphQL server and you, you go through that whole process. And even if you just use Lambda for GraphQL, the problem is, is that you don't have those subscriptions, right? So there's a, there's a whole WebSocket thing and all that, you know, that you just completely miss out on unless you set that up separately. And again, there's been a whole bunch of articles lately about trying to scale WebSockets, which is everything is moved to this push. You know, everything's now this this constant, you know, uh, constant communication or live communication, real-time communications. So going to something like AppSync and choosing that, just abstracting away, like you said, not only the heavy lifting of setting up the GraphQL server, but that just that WebSocket piece alone uh, in order to do those subscriptions is huge. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, all I can say is it's pretty phenomenal, really. Yeah. <laughs> makes well, great sense. Response. Makes sense. Well, you know, <laughs> no, it's, this is uh, how we transition. It's not, that's, um, you, we're talking about speed. Like, I mean, fast response. I mean, that's what we that's what we get with serverless, right? That's another terrible, terrible pun. Anyways, well, so uh, the other thing, the other article that you wrote and actually gave a talk about this as as well is is uh is your work with EventBridge and a lot of the stuff that you've done um, testing with EventBridge because that's one of those things where it's like. How do you mock a local, how do you mock an event bus locally, right? I mean, you can, but then it's communicating across services and service boundaries. And so you don't necessarily know, and maybe it's one team working on this service and another team working on this service. So how do you test that integration and so forth? And now I know you were at Theodo and you did some work with the SLL, uh, sorry, SLS test tools, right? Did I say that right? Um, and, and in there, there was some really cool 
ways to test EventBridge. Could you talk a little bit sort of what that testing strategy is or what, what you were doing with EventBridge there? We can geek out a little bit on this. Yeah. And so I guess it all kind of started when we were using EventBridge, but we didn't really have a good way to test kind of across. So especially when we're using a event bus, that's kind of a bridge between two microservices, which are completely independent from each other, except for the event bridge. How do you kind of test all of that? So initially we thought, well, you can end-to-end testing. You can say, okay, something comes into microservice one, let's check that the outcome happens in microservice two. However, like if we get a failure in that end-to-end test, you don't know which microservice the failure has happened in. So we figured that we needed to come up with an integration test. I mean, I think that our whole company were quite opinionated on let's not test on, let's not use mocks and stubs, except for like um, failed cases that you can't really, you know, not the happy right. flow. But for the happy flow, let's use the real infrastructure because that's, you know, what mimics production the best. But it's quite tricky with EventBridge. You can't just say, has it arrived on the EventBridge and ask for that information. So what we came up with is you would trigger an event to happen in microservice one, and then to check that the event arrived on the event bridge, we actually set up an SQS queue as a subscriber to that event bridge, and then pulled on the SQS queue to check that the event arrived on the queue. And so that's how we kind of affirmed that, okay, the first integration test to, to check that the event arrived on the event bus, like check that that actually happened. And so one thing that you have to do with this is in the integration test, you do need to spin up an SQS queue because that's not part of your original infrastructure, Right. but the event bus is, and the microservice one is. So overall you are testing that. And then the second integration test is much simpler. It's just triggering an event to arrive on the event bus. So manually doing that, well, not manually, but in the test. And then checking that the result happens in microservice two, say that's like an object arrived in S3. So that's kind of the overall premise. And so then you know that if one of those fails, you know where the problem is, whether it's in microservice one, microservice two. And so that's what I've kind of written my article on and done a few talks about because it was an interesting way of doing it without mocking. Yeah, no, and I, I really love that way, uh, the, the idea of throwing that SQS queue in there and then actually having the test itself spin up the SQS queue. And that's one yeah. of the things that I love. Again, there's another thing about serverless that's just so interesting is the ephemerality of all of the different services that you can use, like spinning up an SQS queue and then tearing it down at the beginning and end of the test. You can spin up hundreds of SQS queues if you wanted to, to test yeah. all different, you know, but that's just a really interesting way to do it because it does give you a nice sort of way that then you can pull because that's what's cool about the uh, SLS test tools, right? It, it will pull that SQS queue and wait for the event to come down and assert that it's, you know, that the event was there and so forth. So yeah, that's a, that's just a, a really, really, uh, really, really interesting way to do it. And now I'm curious, now that you've gone over to Lego, Lego uses EventBridge uh, quite a bit. Sheen Brizzles writes about EventBridge all the time. Time. So have you had a chance yet to translate your event bridge skills over to your role at Lego? So at the moment, I'm working on a new architecture and it has event bridge in there. So I'm definitely planning on putting the integration tests onto the event bridge. Not yet, but I definitely will do. And I think that once I do it, I'll definitely do a presentation to the rest of Lego and try to kind of uh, get this in other services as well that people are working on. Yeah. And that's the cool thing as well is that we ended up open sourcing it into SLS test tools so that people could just really easily put this onto their, onto their project. Um, so yeah, it's really nice. 
I saw that you know, a few people celebrated on Twitter. They were like, and it's open source. And I got to see that a few different times. They're like, no way, they open source this. <laughs> Which I think is always, it's always great when you make Twitter celebrate rather than really anything else. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you were working as a consultant, right, you got to experience likely working a lot with a lot of different clients. And, and now at Lego, your client is your company, right? You're working for and with each other on a specific project within Lego. But I'm wondering if working through these best practices and testing strategy takeaways if you've seen, especially of the diversity of people that you've worked with, if there are common mistakes that developers or companies even at a, at a decision-making level are making when it comes to testing and, you know, which of the, which of your like testing strategies are perhaps overlooked the most, right? Or the one that people skip over the most. It's like, oh, we probably don't need that one. And you're like, oh, but we do need that one. If there are any patterns that you see where we should be looking out for gotchas. Well, I think mainly my experience is that depending on the client that you're working with, the person who's kind of allowing you to do your work from the client side, they will either love testing and kind of be happy to dedicate the time to it. Or some people will be like, we're not putting tests in and you know, really push back. And that's why you have to fight a little bit and try to get your way. And so I wouldn't really say it's like mistakes that developers are making. It's more so how much does the company care about having well-tested code and how, how much can you fight to make sure that you get what you want. Whereas going to Lego, I think that's the main difference between being a consultant and working for Lego. Lego are always going to know that you're doing it in their best interest. Like you're not just fighting for tests for no good reason. It's not, it's often not the most fun topic for developers either. So if you're fighting for it, there's probably a good reason and they're probably going to allow you to go ahead and write and come up with those tests. Yeah. To, to make sure that it's good. But in terms of mistakes, I can't think of any, actually. I feel like there is a bumper sticker there where it's like, must love testing. Like, <laughs> even if you don't want to do it, you got to love it. Must respect testing. Testing yeah. must be respected at all times. Well, testing is another one of those things, too, especially with serverless. You have to write your serverless applications a certain way to really enable testing. If you just bury all your code into a Lambda function and you're not thinking, you know, hexagonally or whatever, um, right, you, 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 tend to, uh, you tend to embed too much code and it's hard to test those things independently. So it's good to think about testing right from the beginning. And again, if you're working quickly like hey how fast can we get this prototype up and running it's very easy for you to sort of forget about the uh, you know writing those tests or to not write those tests but when you i think you move into an organization like a lego you know again having those tests are certainly in their best interest and in being able to have those repeatable deployments and make sure that there's no regressions and things like that so but the other thing about testing and this is something you mentioned when we when you were just talking about the event bridge testing is you can't mock event bridge so you have to test those things in some sort of a uh, you know in sort of a, a, a live environment with live infrastructure it's that's the best way to test it at least in my opinion but so talk a little bit about that in terms of other things as well so even testing individual services like how much do you favor and maybe maybe what theodo did maybe what lego's doing now how much did you favor writing local mocks versus really just pushing it into the into the stack or into the cloud as quickly as possible? I mean, I think my experience is has always been just putting it on the real infrastructure. So I can't actually say much for about mocking because I just haven't done it that much. But in terms of testing on the real infrastructure, we came up with a really nice flow to do this. So the way that we would kind of make sure that these integration tests run on the real infrastructure was in our CD, CI/CD pipeline. 
So at the beginning of our CI/CD pipeline, we'd spin up a stack that would just be an, a unique one based on a PR number. And then the whole stack would be deployed. You'd run all the integration tests on it, and then you would tear it down at the end because obviously you can't, I think there's like 500 max stacks open in CloudFormation because yeah, we generally use uh, CloudFormation for this stuff. And we just, it just, we came up with a really nice way of doing it because as well, you could work on that stack as well when you were developing. So rather, I remember when I started my serverless journey, I would have like a stack called Sarah H and then the stack would always end up in a mess and you'd spend half your day trying to kind of get the stack out of the mess. But actually just at the, at the beginning of every ticket, you just spin up a fresh stack and then run all the integration tests on that. It just made the serverless like development cycle a lot nicer. That's one of those moments where you think your past self, your, your like current self thinks it's past self to so be like, oh man. Thank you so much for thinking of this pre, like, preconceivedly. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. Gain full visibility into Lambda invocation flows quickly with Lumigo, the cloud monitoring and troubleshooting platform that helps developers like you see the whole story end to end. Resolve critical issues in serverless and distributed environments, giving you better insights into your Lambda's mind. Start free today at Lumigo.io. So let's talk a little bit about the Community Builder program and just how you got now. You, uh, you sort of how you got out there and started talking on Twitter. You mentioned Ben Ellerby. He and I have uh, hit a number of uh, bars in Nashville. That's uh, and actually <laughs> we've hit a number of bars all around the world. I think actually, but. Uh, ben is a great guy, um, and uh, you know he's done a tremendous amount of work with Theodo, and now Ali, it's Alios, I think, is what it's called. That right? So he's done all this great stuff. So he, you said he sort of encouraged you to go out and start uh, speaking. So what, like, what besides that, like, what did you start with? Like, how did you just start putting yourself out there? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, actually. I'm not sure how it happened. I think that at the beginning, I wrote an article. I say a long time ago, we're talking like two years ago when I didn't know a lot and it's not on my like media page, but I think it was about kind of creating sticky stickers, like front end something or other. I can't remember. And I just quite liked it. I think that there's some, I guess it's just exciting to kind of put content out there, see what people are feeling and like what they think about what you're working on. And then as I started working more with Ben. Um, I mean, he's he's a real role model to me, you know, he became a serverless hero and that's kind of like the trajectory that I'd like to take. And so I just started working closely with him and it was kind of like when I would hit an interesting topic in what I was working on, okay, let's get an article out. And he would just kind of encourage me, read over my work and, you know, proofread things before I'd release them. And when I spoke at Serverless Days in Paris, that was mm. my first in-person conference. He really encouraged that and came along and watched me speak there as well. So I think it's kind of having that person who's just kind of encouraging you along the way and kind of showing you the ropes of how to kind of get involved. So that's where it all started, really. So one of the things about sort of putting yourself out there and and making, you know, giving giving talks or or writing articles of it is you kind of have to take a stance. It's like you kind of take a stance on something, right? You kind of say like, this is the way that I do it and I do it this way because of whatever. One of the things I noticed is I, I went and I watched your uh, your talk from Serverless Paris. And the first thing I noticed was that you said GIF instead of GIF. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, perfect. Uh, she's my best friend now because so many people keep saying Jeff 
and I don't care. It's GIF. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm taking a, a stand right now. I don't care what the creator of it said. It's GIF. Hard G. Did you I've say GIF? never heard anyone say GIF, so I feel that this is an American thing. I'm a GIFer all the way. You're a GIFer. Oh, <laughs> I'm a GIFer. All right. So, Sarah, how would you like to be co-host of Serverless Chats? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh. I knew I was about to give that up. I knew this was the moment that was coming. I was like, oh, I didn't know. This would be what tore us down. It's GIF versus GIF. I should have known. <laughs> right, right. So anyways, so yeah, so the, the AWS Community Builder Program, how did you get into that? So I think, I can't remember what the requirement was, but I remember Ben kind of saying like, oh, you know, you should apply for this because you've created quite a lot of content and it would be cool. And I, I just went ahead and applied for it, listed all kind of the different things I'd done, my articles, my talks, and I, I got in there. And it, it's been pretty cool, actually, because they have like a Slack channel where you can kind of find out a lot about what other community builders are up to and yeah, get get a lot of content from the community. I think that's the nice thing about serverless. I mean, the community builders isn't just serverless. It's just, it, there's just one section of it that is about serverless. Right. But I feel like the serverless community is just kind of something special. Like people are so invested in it. People love it. So it's just a cool place to be really. And with the AWS community builder program, like I'd like to kind of go on for that for a second year and kind of stay involved and keep creating content really. Yeah. As um. As someone who selected the first cohort of AWS community builders, Sarah, I bet something that you did, which you might not even remember doing, is we say like, hey, why are you interested in this program? And let's say roughly we had a thousand applicants the first year or for the first cohort, and probably five to 600 of them did not answer that question. And for us, that was the, like a first indicator of like, okay, if we have to, only, if we can only take 200 folks, then we have to have like some simple ways to get the number smaller. And if someone yeah. didn't answer why it was important to them or why they were interested or what they were looking to learn, then that was actually one of the first things that we said, okay, if they didn't answer the why, then we're probably not ready and they're not ready for us to really, like we, we want someone, we, at that time, at least I can't speak for AWS now, but we, it was really important to us to have someone who could articulate like why the, the program would be something that they were interested in being in. So I'll just add to that. I'm sure you had created great pieces of content. That's always really helpful to see how someone is active in the community and looking to build their skills in the community and showing that by sharing their expertise with others and their learning journey. But another big part was the why, which I'm sure you had probably filled out quite eloquently. So just hot tip for the future. But as you said, you might be looking at being in the program for another year and something that's really cool about the program, or at least I think, or hope that's what we thought, right, is that we would hope that when people were in the program, they got the have access to some really interesting internal teams, like some roadmap conversations, some feedback sessions, and then some some career building types of sessions, right? Like how to give a great talk, like what is the best way to structure a presentation? What's interesting about writing a blog post and how to bring your audience with you? So I'm wondering if there are any topics or technical pieces that you've that you've grown since you've been in the program and what makes you want to stay for a second year? Yeah, so I think at the beginning when I joined the Builders program, I watched quite a few of the, I think there was some content around how to like, yeah, give a good talk and kind of speak publicly, which is really helpful for me because although I think, I think I've got a natural ability to kind of come out and talk, but I also do get a bit nervous about it and like, it's always good to kind of try to improve. Um, so that was one part of it. And then I do remember 
it was quite a while ago, actually. I went to a talk given by some people within AWS and it was about a fairly new service. And I can't remember the name now because I haven't used it, but it's a, it's about how I think it's like locator or something. I probably shouldn't say oh, this, but uh, I don't location really services. Lo is it location is, is services? Is that the one where you could like make a Deliveroo app basically? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazon, okay, either yeah. AWS or Amazon location service. I don't know if it's AWS or Amazon, but it's one of those. We have a one in 262 <laughs> chance of getting this right. <laughs> so I went to this talk and it's something that really I probably wouldn't have looked into myself because I haven't really been uh, doing any work like that. But actually, it's really interesting to know oh, AWS have this service. So if one day I decide I'm going to create that Deliveroo app or something like that, then you know where to go. And it, it's kind of just... Really, it's about having that knowledge within AWS. And that's kind of where I see my career going, having a wealth of knowledge to help. And at the moment, I'm working towards my uh, professional solutions architect certification. And I think having that community to be able to kind of bounce ideas off and find out new things and kind of get on top of the game, it's just really helpful, really. And also having that kind of title allows people to reach out to you as well. I'll often get messages saying, oh, I see your community builder, let's let's get in touch kind of thing. So I think it's about networking as well. Yeah, so in terms of like giving talks and stuff like that, so it's super helpful to have a community to lean on. And actually, one of the things that when I first started doing talks, I had a, a couple of people that I would send them to or I would you know sort of do them. You used to be able to actually see people in person, which you're starting to be able to do again, which is great. But like it actually just gives somebody the talk and get some feedback on it. So I'm curious for you, that process, like getting getting to speak at a conference, because I know so many people who are like, I keep submitting RFPs and, and they just never, they never select me or whatever. What was that process like for you, maybe for uh, Serverless Days Paris or or any other the uh, any of the other talks that you gave? Like, what is that RFP process like? Or, or what, did you do anything, you know, sort of to, to try to make your talk stand out? So I think for the Serverless Days Paris, I did spend a while writing my RFP. I was a kind of like, oh, I'm just going to write this down. And I wanted to make sure that it was interesting and unique. Mm. So for me, I spoke about the EventBridge integration testing. And I was pretty confident about this, actually, because I felt that it's something that's interesting to most people who work with serverless. And it's quite novel as well. It's not something that people have really done before. So I think that's it. And this is kind of what I'm not struggling for, but one thing that I really do want to do another conference soon, but I want to have a good topic. I want it to be interested and something that I feel really comes from me rather than just regurgitating the docs. Like, so I think this is kind of what I'm hoping for from Lego is that I'll work with some really cool architectures and have some inspiration. So I think that's the thing. I think having something that's that you know people are actually going to be interested in and something that they couldn't just necessarily look up on Google because that's probably easier than watching a talk. But then other talks have been online because of COVID. And I, I can't remember whether they had an RFP process, but I think look, I've been quite lucky to kind of have the contact with uh, like Ben to kind of get in mm. there. So, I, But I think that's the thing about the community. If you start reaching out and speaking to people that, Everyone's happy to help. I've never met anyone who's kind of rude or anything like that. Everyone kind of wants you to succeed and everyone just seems really passionate about serverless. So if you want to give a talk, then I think if you reach out to the right people, then they're going to be able to help you. Yeah, I think uh, next idea or idea for your next talk could be gifts, gifs, and you. I don't know, and maybe... <laughs> and Rebecca's not invited. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before the show, you had hinted at the idea of ideal ways of working versus reality. And I was like, man, there's so many ways to interpret this. And instead of me trying to make conjectures about what this meant, I was like, Jeremy, we should just ask Sarah. So open blue sky. When you were like, hey, let, let's like, as a topic, there might be some ideal ways of working versus reality. I, don't, I was like, this might be professional based. It might be within like, you know, code, the code base. It might be depending on the scale of organization you're at. It could be personal. I don't know. So wanted to open that up here to say like, Sarah, school us a little bit. <laughs> so I think when I kind of mentioned that, I didn't know what I was alluding to, but then I had to think about it and I thought, okay, here's an interesting one. So generally when I kind of talk about how we ideally set up serverless teams, we'll say, okay, we're going to have event-driven microservices and in an ideal situation, you'll have decoupled services. Maybe they've all got their own repo and you have a team on each one and you can train developers up really quickly because they only need to know about a small amount of the code. We get events coming in from EventBridge and we do something with them and you don't need to concern yourself with the whole architecture. And this all sounds great. And it is the way that I think we would all like to be, have small teams that decoupled and maybe only the engineering manager needs to concern themselves with the other team's work. Now, I feel that in reality, I've never quite managed this, like, or managed to be in a team that perfects it. So I've been in a startup where we've had the microservices and to be honest, that's amazing. If the teams, so the thing was, is that the, we weren't big enough to have a team on each microservice right. as a situation. So actually I did need to concern myself with the whole of the, uh, the system really. And then coming to Lego. We do have our separate squad set up. So I am very much in a squad and I don't concern myself too much with what other squads are doing. Well, it's obviously it's been in production for a long, long time and it's kind of a movement to this way of working. And within our team, we're going to have our event bridge that's going to fire off events to other teams, but we're not there yet as a whole company. And another thing is kind of the market for developers right now is insane so actually being able to fill these squads up with the the people that you need not necessarily at lego but actually just forming independent squads can be really hard because you'll often end up with one person with all the expertise who needs to end up on different projects right so i think i guess my point was kind of is these ideal way ways of working but i've never quite seen them to perfection i don't know whether you guys have but <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah. that's actually the whole idea of, of saying like, we're going to have independent teams on each microservice, like at AWS, absolutely. They do that. Right. And some of the larger companies, they, they certainly do as well. But I think you're right. You get people who sort of know the whole system and, and they kind of want to be involved in everything. And I will say, and this is something, and I, again, as, as a younger developer who, as you get more experience, the, the, the best thing you can learn is to be able to develop trust in other people. And as soon as you can trust somebody and you just know that that person's going to do their job or that team's going to do their job or whatever it is, it's sort of a magical feeling, right? Because then everything just works better. And then you can stay focused and hyper-focused on a specific thing. You can get that event bridge testing in. You can do those sort of things knowing that it's like, I'm not also responsible for the payment service and I'm responsible for these other things. So I know I think that's a, that's just sort of a magical place that, that you can get to. So, um, 
So yeah, so very much so though, I, I totally get what you're talking about and it is definitely uh, ideal versus reality is, is, is very different. But anyways, the reality is, is that we're running out of time. And another terrible transition. But anyway, so that was all right. I guess that was good. That was good. I don't know why we're being so upfront about our segues, but uh, we are running out of time and uh, we're super happy, you know, that you were able to come on the show and share your journey with us. I think it's super inspiring for other people who are getting into, into this space. You said it, there is a lack of developers right now. And I think there's a lack of developers in the sort of cloud space, even though there's already millions of us. We need more. Uh, who did we talk to the other day that was telling us, like, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, we we're talking to um, uh, to Merritt Bear, but it doesn't matter who you are, you know, whether you are a teacher or I don't know what the other professions were, but come and work in cloud security. Like, we need more people in in this industry and more people working with serverless, you know. And if you've got uh, if you get the brain for it, then you should be able to, you know, learn this stuff pretty quickly and get up to speed, you know, and, and be able to do some amazing things. So it's awesome uh, hearing about your journey. We wish you luck on your continued journey. But if people uh, do want to get in touch with you and reach out and, and find out more about you or maybe reach out to you because they want to offer you a, a spot at a conference, you don't even have to fill out the RFP. Um, how would they How would they do that? So I'm on Twitter, and funnily enough, my Twitter handle is serverless Sarah. So that's a pretty easy one to remember. But also LinkedIn, we just find Sarah Hamilton. I'll be there. So yeah, anyway, but yeah, thank you. I like the uh, Twitter handle, but when I read it, I want to say serverless Sarah, because there's so many S's um, Same. in between there. Yeah, but... yeah. It's like parcel tongue from Harry Potter. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Very like nice. It. All right. Well, we will put all of this stuff in the show notes. Thanks again, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Sarah Hamilton for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Lumigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 136. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter, at Becca Odele, and me, at Jeremy underscore Daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.